from the newsroom of The Washington Post. Hi, good afternoon. This is Tolu Olorunipa with The Washington Post. Hi, this is Amy Britton calling from The Post. This is Peter Jameson from The Washington this Post. This is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. It's Monday, July 12th. Today, how to protect yourself and your company from ransomware attacks and the anatomy of a phone scam. Over the weekend of July 4th, a group of hackers launched a massive cyber attack. The FBI has investigated what could become the world's largest ransomware attack. The Russia-linked cyber gang known as Revel launched an attack on Friday. In Sweden, a major grocery store chain was forced to shut down hundreds of locations. The hack had locked its cash registers. In New Zealand, schools warned that staff might not be able to use their computers. The hackers demanded $70 million to unlock these businesses. I think that just the scale and breadth of that attack really has people thinking about how ransomware is ramping up in frequency. It's ramping up in the size of the ransoms that criminals are asking for. And for employees, that can feel like a really vulnerable position. Tatum Hunter has been reporting on ransomware attacks, this kind of scam where hackers are usually targeting companies. She spoke with our intern, Corey Suzuki, about how to keep yourself and your employer safe. So a ransomware attack is when a group of cyber criminals or someone acting individually finds a way to compromise a computer network and lock down the data on those computers. So if your company, for example, was affected by a ransomware attack, you might find that you can't access your computer and that the data that you had is no longer available to you. So by putting that bad software onto the network, the criminals are then able to ask for a ransom to give the company their computers and data back. And how does this happen? How do hackers break in and lock down these systems? Well, a lot of the time, it might be through a software vulnerability, a problem with the code that allows the hackers kind of a backdoor into that network. But other times, it actually comes from an employee on the company network clicking uh, a phishing link, opening an attachment with malware in it, or entering their computer credentials into, you know, a compromised website or web form that then allows the hackers access to that employee account and similarly gives them a way into the company network. So what do these attacks look like? I'm on my work computer. I'm getting stuff done. What should I be watching out for? Well, this might seem too simple, but anything that really makes you want to click should raise a red flag. So if something seems too good to be true, perhaps, you know, you received an email saying, you know, open this attachment to view the details of your bonus. And it wasn't a bonus that you knew about or were expecting to get. That would be a red flag. On the other end of the spectrum, these people also prey on feelings of fear or anxiety. So if the email says your Amazon package has been lost, you know, vaccine appointment, in your area are running out, you know, click here to schedule. Anytime that there's some ticking clock or pressure to click, that should be a red flag. And what should we do if we run into a weird email or message? Well, if you haven't clicked or opened anything, some 
email service providers have a, like a button where you can report phishing. But everyone should check their company's security policy and see what the right thing to do is if you notice emails in your inbox that appear to be phishing attempts. Because most companies, I think, would prefer to have some sort of reporting mechanism built into their email where you can hopefully get less of them over time. But if it's something where you've already clicked on something that seems like it could be a malicious link or opened something that seems like it could be a malicious attachment, the best thing to do is to tell your IT department immediately. I learned about something called dwell time, which is the time between when hackers get access to a network and the time that they're actually able to execute anything malicious, where they kind of have to wrap their minds around what they've got and what they could potentially get access to. So the earlier you report a phishing attempt, the more time your IT team has to address it. And that's because that policy will be different from company to company. But I think the big takeaway here is that if employees are feeling anxious about these headlines they're seeing about ransomware, this isn't always the employee's fault. A lot of times it's because of vulnerabilities in the company's network. And then the second thing to keep in mind is that generally you're not going to get fired or punished for making this mistake. And of course, this differs from company to company. But generally, employers understand that people can't get this right 100% of the time and that it's far better to be communicative and let your employer know if you have made a mistake than to try to cover it up and kind of hope that nothing bad comes of it. Tatum Hunter is a technology writer for The Post. The story was produced by Corey Suzuki. Hey there, I'm Dr. Maya Shunker, and I'm a scientist who studies human behavior. Many of us have experienced a moment in our lives that changes everything, that instantly divides our life into a before and an after. On my podcast, A Slight Change of Plans, I talk to people about navigating these moments. Their stories are full of candor and hard-won wisdom. And you'll hear from scientists who teach us how we can be more resilient in the face of change. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, Michelle. Hello. How are you? I'm good. Hello, Emma. How are you? Hi. I'm good. <laughs> um, so we are here with Michelle Singletary and Emma Talkoff. Michelle is a finance columnist at The Post, a very legendary figure in the world of personal finance. Um, and Emma, you are a producer on Post Reports. And what I know is that we are here to talk about scams and phone scams. Because I think, Michelle, something happened to you, right? Involving a, a, a scam on the phone? That's right. Not too long ago, my sister called me during the day and she was in a panic. And she said, the cops are coming to my job. You know, I'm going to be arrested. And I'm thinking, what are you talking about? What's going on? And she started to just ramble on about this call that she got that, that someone had used her social security number 
to do drug trafficking. And and she just was spinning this tale. And I'm thinking, what? And then, of course, I realized quickly that it was a scam, that it it was a Social Security scam where someone calls and says you're going to be arrested or that your Social Security number was misused for criminal activity and that if you don't pay them money or give them information, the cops were going to come and arrest you. Wow. That sounds so scary. Yeah. I'm sure your brain automatically goes into a panic. It did. I could hear the terror in my sister's voice. So uh, she had patched me into the call. So the person who was still talking didn't realize I was on the other line. And so I was whispering to her, okay, listen, this is a scam, but how about we, I'm going to record it if that's okay with you. Oh, you recorded it. Wait, so can we, can we listen to that now? Sure. Okay, yeah, let's listen to the tape. Okay, so what are you asking me now? What are you saying? Okay. So you have savings and checking account with the Wells Fargo Bank? Yes. Okay. And currently what will be the balance in your savings account of the Wells Fargo? Don't tell him. Oh, my God. That's you saying, don't tell him. Don't tell him. Right. I'm not giving that out. Is any Rambover figure like a less than $100, less than $500? I'm still not giving that out. I don't know who I'm talking to. I understand what you're saying, but I'm not giving that out. Good for her. The reason I'm asking you this question is because by the end of the day, we are going to freeze all the bank accounts and all the credit cards which have been issued under your name and under your social identity. I'm going to freeze all the bank accounts and credit cards. Like $100,000 has been wired locally and internationally with the drug trafficking countries like Mexico and Colombia. Well, I haven't been to any of those places, and if I could if I could afford it, I probably wouldn't go there anyway. I'm not interested in Mexico or Colombia or any place like that. <laughs> we are not going to do that as each and every evidence are against you. Evidence against as you. As your social security number was misused for doing each and every criminal activity. I, I understand. As well, there are two... As, yes, as well as there are two federal charges as invest and the Jordan that is drug trafficking and money laundering. Okay, can we pause it for a second? So this, this is wild. This is so wild. It's crazy, right? So this guy is saying that they have evidence against your sister for drug trafficking and money laundering and that they're going to freeze all her bank accounts and credit cards unless she gives them money. That's correct. And so uh, people should know, uh, listeners should know that just before I got on, she'd already been talking to him for several minutes. So I joined the conversation after she had been just scared out of her wits. So by the time I said, listen, this is a complete scam, but we're going to get back on with him. Do not tell him any information. Let's listen to what he's saying. I want to hear what he's telling you. Mm -hmm. Okay, so what do you want me to do, sir? What will be the available balance in your savings account? Don't I tell. don't know it. Is there anyone along with you, Miss? I can hear the voice of another person. <laughs> yeah, I'm her sister. She was very concerned. So what's what's happening? I'm sorry? She's very yeah, concerned, so what's happening? Oh, you can tell he knows. He's like, oh, damn. <laughs> yep, that's the point where he's like, almost the gig is up. Who's that along with him? Yes, my, I have my sister with me. You have your sister with you. And you have shared all the information with her, right? Yes, I share everything with my sister. 
<laughs> the awkward okay. silence. Yeah. So what will be the available balance in your savings account? I am asking you for the last time. We are not talking about the sharp figure, but like a less than hundred dollar, less than five hundred dollar, less than one thousand dollar. So why do you need to know how much she has in her bank account? Uh, yeah, my sister's asking a question. Why do I? Why do you need to know how much I have in my bank account? If you tapped my phone and checked my, uh, if you tapped my phone, then you know I don't have no money. <laughs> I'm living paycheck to paycheck. We are going to simply freeze all the bank accounts and all the credit cards. Okay, we are not going to discuss each and everything with you, either your sister. And we are also going to activate your warrant ID as well as the sum of the charges. But that is a non-bailable arrest warrant has been issued under your name. That means you will be behind the bars for the next six months of time. So, what agency are you calling from? That's my question. What agency are you calling from? It's not the agency; it's the government department. It's the investigation department of the Social Security Administration. <laughs> okay, so he's saying he's not. This is an agency. This is the investigations department of the Social Security Administration. Oh, I see. So, what do I need? What does she need to do to clear this up? Nothing. Like we are simply activating your warrant ID. You can simply hire a lawyer and file the case as it goes. Okay, so she okay. needs she needs to get a lawyer. I like the the playing along strategy here. Okay. And and so then, what does she call you back then? No, no, no need to call me back. As within the next fifteen twenty minutes, the local police officers will be there at your place. He said the police are on the way. Right. Okay, so what does she have to do to clear this up? Nothing You know this is a fraud, right? Why are you calling people doing this? Did he hang up when you asked why he was doing it? <laughs> yeah. This, I mean, don't you see the audacity of that? You know you're scamming me and you're going to hang up on me? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. He was like, I give it. I'm done with this. I I need. I have other places, to, other people to call to try to scam. Like, That's exactly Let me just right. get off the phone. <laughs> and if you saw that, you know, there's these keywords. They say arrest, you know, warrant. And if you if you could hear, and I know the audio wasn't excellent, but you could hear he says um, you could spend six months in jail mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that's what stalled her all she heard was police arrest warrant jail for six months and so that shut down what would we think of as the common sense that this is a scam yeah yeah the the, the fear starts overtaking your sense Correct. of like perspective or right skepticism right. And that's, again, why I wanted to tearing up because I just, heard, you know, I just, my sister was almost scammed. Yeah. And had I not got on the line, it's very likely that she would have lost thousands of dollars. Mm. What kicked in for me is I need to help people not fall for this. And my sister is smart. She's, she's, she's witty. But the fact that she could so quickly fall into the con made me realize in that moment 
that this was a teaching moment for other people. The more we can delve into what is it that the scammer said that got them to buy a gift card or give them their bank information, the better we can help the public not fall for these scams. And um, I I wish we could do more coaching. Like people would call and go, hold on for a second and then call someone who could coach them through them like I was coaching through my sister. Because you could hear at some point she realized, yeah, man, this guy is trying to take me for a ride. <laughs> I, lo- I love how empowered she gets too. She's like, my sister's here and she's sticking up for me and like together we're going to beat you. <laughs> that's exactly right. And you know, that's one of the tips that I give people that if you are the kind of person that, you know, maybe you're just so polite and kind that you'll listen and you don't want to hang up on people, then call somebody like me. You should have somebody in your life who's like, you know, we're going to take it to task. So Michelle, when you and I were talking about this tape yesterday, you pointed out something to me that I thought was really interesting, which was that part of why this was so scary and convincing for your sister was that the scammers did actually have some accurate information about her, right? Like they knew what bank she used and how many accounts that she had. Do you know like how they got that information? And also like, is that a common tactic, right? Like the scammer will provide some information so you think the rest of what they're saying is also true? It is a completely accurate assessment of the situation. So there have been so many major data breaches that your information, lots of it, is out there for sale. They buy it and they may have little pieces here and there. And so some of the major data breaches that we've had, like Equifax, for example, has your bank account information. It has how many accounts you have. And so That is how people fall victim because if they call you, they say, yeah, don't you have accounts at Wells Fargo? She did. You know, one thing that you mentioned before that I thought was really interesting is you were saying that that people, there's sometimes this sense that this only happens to some people or that you have to be really, you know, gullible or not tech savvy to be able to fall for a scam like this. But that's why I, I wanted Emma here because... From what I hear from Emma, this has happened to her. And Emma, how old are you? I mean, this is obviously, this is not like an anyone can get scammed at any age. But I just like paint a little picture of like who you are and what you bring to this situation of being scammed. Sure. Um, I'm 25. And I think, you know, in the pandemic, I've had a couple of sort of close scares with scams. One thing that happened to me was that in a situation much like this one, I was uh, in a closet trying to record myself. And I got locked in and I fell for a really common scam, which is a um, you call a locksmith and they end up overcharging you by a lot to kind of let you out of your situation. And then I almost fell for an apartment scam in which someone was telling me, oh, you need to put down a bunch of money to see this apartment, not even, you know, a a deposit for first and last month's rent, but just to even see it and fill out Mm -hmm. an application. And I think in both of those cases, you know, I was really stressed out. I was like, I need to find a place to live. I need to, you know, get out of this situation. And it seemed like the scammers really preyed on that. So I've been really interested in this story because I think of myself as being a very savvy person, but I can totally see how in the moment you just hear these details and you start panicking. Yeah, that's exactly right. And you know, the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, people report scams to them. 
And they found actually that millennials or young adults are actually more likely to fall for scams than mm-hmm. seniors. We often think it's seniors because mm-hmm. we assume that there's some dementia or something going on. And so, of course, they would follow for scams, which is really quite stereotypical and not the case at all. But what happens is, listen to what you said, Emma. You were stressed out. You were, you know, rushing. You were thinking you have to do something. And when you're talking to the scammer, they pick up on that. And it's in our moments of distress that we sometimes lose our ability to think through things. Yeah. So then what is your advice for what to do when you get a a phone call, a text or something from someone who's saying, there's a problem, something bad is going to happen to you if you don't call us back and talk through it. And in the process, I will be asking for your bank account number and you're going to have to pay us money. Like, what are some of the other ways that you tell people to protect themselves? So my number one tip comes from actually Reagan when he was negotiating with the Russians. Reagan said, trust but verify. So I have a little twist on that. Trust no one. (laughs) Trust no email. Trust no text. I don't care if it's your husband or your pastor, your wife, your partner, your mama. Trust no one. So the moment you get an inquiry or someone asking you or saying they're from a government agency, stop it right there and say, you know what? Might be true. I'm going to hang up and call and Hmm. just have a blanket policy to trust nothing. But then what happens? I mean, I, you know, I get texts sometimes where if I'm traveling, I'll get a text from my debit card company that's like, hey, we noticed these charges. And if you want to keep using our, your debit card, you need to call us or text us and approve these charges or let us know that it's really you. And, and so you do sometimes get those communications that you do have to respond to. How do you tell the difference? So, again, you don't respond to that text. You go to the back of your credit card. There's a number there. You call. Or I, I have them. Uh, program into my phone, or I go to the website. And it really only is going to take you a couple of minutes, if I mean, not really minutes, even seconds, to take that extra step to go to the original source. If it is truly coming from your bank, there's going to be something in your account that says, you know, something's going on. Mm-hmm. If you don't see that, then you just call the number and say, hey, I got this text. Is this from you? And then they can confirm it right away. So do you have a sense of like how significant of a problem this is nationally? I mean, it seems like we all get these calls, but how many people actually get taken in by them? Well, let's just narrow it down to the Social Security number scam. In 2020, More than 700,000 people filed a complaint with the Social Security Administration. Now, think about that. 700,000. Those are the people who just filed a complaint. Many, many, many more people don't call in a complaint. They just either hang up or they're too embarrassed to report it. The loss, the financial loss is significant. The average loss for a victim was about $5,800. So it is a rampant problem. You know, we all need to take a part in helping people avoid being victimized. Because if people are being scammed out of their savings and retirement funds, that means their financial security falls on family members, adult children, Hmm. society. So this is not just 
some crazy or, you know, people will say stupid person who fell for a scam. This is your problem, too. Mm -hmm. We all have to protect each other. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Like, Emma, you should be telling all your friends how you almost fell for this. Like, look, oh my gosh, I can't believe this happened to me. Oh, believe me, I I have been. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's great. That's great. Um, And not be embarrassed. Please report it. If this has happened to you, if you were scammed or almost scammed, report it. Michelle, I'm wondering, has the pandemic made this kind of stuff worse? The pandemic has absolutely made this worse. The FTC says the number of pandemic or COVID-related scams has increased significantly. Interesting. And here's why. Obviously, people lost their jobs or having financial issues. And so the thought that they could make more money, for example, there are a lot of employment scams where um, scammers will try to get people to pay money to help people look for a job or or they'll say, you know, there's work at home scams. And so when people are having trouble financially because of, you know, COVID or a recession or economic downturn, the number of scams do go up because people are desperate. So Emma, do you feel less stigmatized now knowing that you're not the only person who has fallen for a scam or two? Yeah, I, you know, I think just like your sister, Michelle, I felt so embarrassed after I almost fell for these things. It's just so hard, you know, when there's money on the line and you feel so bad about it. But it's a little comforting to know that, you know, it's not really my fault. (laughs) It's not your fault. It's absolutely not your fault. We have to get away from blaming the victims. And listen, I'm talking to myself, too, because initially when I was talking to my sister, I was thinking, girl, what is wrong with you? (laughs) But then I heard the fear and it really humbled me. You can't blame the victim. That's what the scammers want us to do. Because the more we blame victims, the less likely they're going to report being victimized. And that allows them to continue defrauding people. Michelle Singletary writes about personal finance for The Post. Her column is called The Color of Money. And as Michelle says, if you have been the victim of an attempted scam, you should report it to the government. We have a link for where you can do that in our show notes and at postreports.com. The story was produced by Emma Talkoff. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was mixed by Rena Flores. We love hearing from listeners about the segments on our show, especially if you found them useful or insightful, or if maybe it's something that you've experienced. Talk with us on Twitter using the hashtag Post Reports or join our Facebook group. I'm Martine Powers. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post. <laughs>